All right. I'm Katie. Sorry for the confusion of the order of things. Thanks for rolling with us. Um, yeah, we're really glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, like Kaylee said, story night is one of our most favorite things that we do. We usually do it at least a few times a year. Um, and it's a good opportunity to hear from some different people in our community. Uh, some people have done it multiple times and just told different parts of their stories. Oh, yeah, the kids can head to the nursery or downstairs, too, if, if you don't want them in here. Um, yeah, it's just a really cool opportunity to hear people's journey, um, things that they've learned, things that they've experienced. And I'm always pretty surprised by the things people are willing to share and just their vulnerability with a room of people that they may or may not know well. So um, we have fantastic people that are part of our community, obviously, and three fantastic ladies in particular are going to share with us tonight. Um, so first up we'll have Rachel, and then we'll have Amy after that, and then Guinevere. So they're just going to come up one after another and share a little bit with you guys. Um, so yeah, if you could just give them a, a warm applause as they come up and, and listen to what they have to share, and then we will continue on with our service after they share with us. Thanks. Okay, super nervous. I haven't thrown up, so that's good yet. Um, okay. I've always held back. Some of it's because I can be very much an introvert, but a lot of it's because of lack of trust. If I did share, it was often with a trusted professional whose job was to listen and to keep things confidential. In my case, it's been youth pastors, church pastors, therapists. I could just drop my load and leave it there. I haven't wanted to share with the people closest to me, like in my family, my husband. That was terrifying. That took it out of my control. It felt unsafe. So I kept my biggest secrets to myself for a very long time. It's felt like such a long road. It is for a lot of us. Life is full of twists and turns. And from what I've experienced, some huge ups and downs. In most areas, I'm a super slow learner. I'm pretty thick-headed at times. I also very much, I'm very much an experiential learner, so words often don't do much for me. Growth has been very slow and painful, mostly because of what I think is God's timing but primarily because of my own desire to keep things where they are familiar. I often thought <clears throat> that it was the safest scenario. God's been so patient with me. I believe he is with all of us. We all have our stuff. He has waited for me to be ready to listen and to give up my secrets. Hiding in your secrets gets to be so dark. I don't think we even realize it. It seems safe, but I got tired of the darkness. But I was completely terrified of the light, of him, of what I believe God truly thought about me. I just wanted to keep the bar low and believe that I am a piece of crap. A piece of crap with a decent heart 
and some small gifts, but nonetheless a piece of crap that isn't really capable of much. I just wanted to smile and nod my head and stay under the radar. I didn't want to hope or believe that I was capable of much of anything. Hope has been a terrifying thing for me. One of my biggest hopes was to get married and to be a mom. My husband and I tried for seven years to have a baby. Then I finally found out I was pregnant. And that was like it for me, my hope and my dream. Life was finally complete. I did everything I knew to be healthy and to help my baby to be healthy. Then in three months, I got a call from the lab saying that my numbers showed that I was losing my baby. It was a phone call, and I was alone at work when I got it. I told my boss I was going home, I didn't feel well, and I miscarried alone in my bathroom. I felt like God had played such a dirty trick on me. I felt he had gotten my heart to open up and to hope only to kill it. That's how it felt. I was mad and gave God the finger for a very long time. Then I decided that it was just easier to believe God isn't really involved in anything that happens in this world. How could he be with all the horrible things that happen? And along with the belief of that setting in, I also turned inward. I decided I must just be too messed up to have a baby of my own. I don't deserve to have kids. It was a dark season. I grew up the third of four kids. I had two older sisters, a younger brother. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who struggled, but in my eyes, I was the screw-up, the black sheep of the family. I had undiagnosed learning issues and really struggled in school. I found my identity in sports and in youth group. There I found a context for a relationship. In sports, I was able to get my pats on the back. In the youth group, I was able to ask the deep questions that I always had rumbling around in my head and got to be a total goofball. My dad has told me that he believes that my youth pastors saved my life. In a lot of ways, I agree. They showed me such love and accepted me for the weird and odd self that I am. I struggled a lot as a kid. My dad worked a lot and wasn't around as much as I would have liked. He was taught that being a good dad meant being a good provider, which he did very well. And my mom was around, but I fought with her a lot. I felt like she favored my brother, who I thought was like the golden boy. And she didn't know what to do with me. I wish I had time to tell you all the amazing, beautiful things that have gone on between me and my parents over the years. But we don't have time. We talk a lot on FaceTime, several times a week, my girls randomly calling them throughout the day. Anyway, I had some big events that affected me in a profound way, ways that I didn't really see or understand until I was in my 20s. I'm still learning and dealing with those effects. I was sexually abused around the age of seven, and then again on several occasions when I was around 11. In both cases, I told no one because of the great shame and confusion that I felt and because of threats against me and my family, I just buried it all, so I thought. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it buried me. Buried me in great darkness and shame where I thought I was safe. 
One way that I tried to keep from feeling all the pain I felt was by sneaking alcohol at the age of 11. I had learned that it helped me to numb the pain, to help me to sleep. I was never a partier. I was too much of an introvert and wrapped up in sports and didn't want to lose that opportunity. But I used it often in the dark by myself. I've had some good sobriety, stretches of sobriety, but never until recently had long enough to really be free of it and grow. Right now I've got a little over 15 months, which is the longest I've had since I was 11. I've worked hard for my sobriety. I've got a small select group of closed mouth friends who have been an amazing support. I have a 12-step meeting that I go to when I can, full of people who I consider my family. And I've had an amazing therapist who has been super patient and insightful in the work. There are people whom I've prayed with and who have prayed for me and literally wrestled me in some of my darkest places. I'm so grateful for these folks. Outside of these folks, I've been very distrustful. I always question why would anyone want to hang out with me? I'm a weird piece of crap, that's what I think. Thought. They must not know me very well. That's what the voice in my head has told me most of my life. My head's always been a super unfriendly neighborhood to walk through unless you have a weapon. It's always been full of shame. I used to think shame was how you felt about things you've done or what's been done to you. But shame, I've realized, it's more than that. It's the story that you tell about yourself about who you really are, who you believe you are, how you talk about yourself. Like I said, my head was always a super unfriendly place. Say horrible things about myself, make up all kinds of stories about what others think of me. That's what most of us do, I think. A lot of us, anyway. We perceive things through our own lenses and experiences and believe that is the truth. We aren't always right. Very rarely, I think, are we right? We can't always know what others are thinking. And most of the time, they aren't even thinking of us. Most of the time, they're busy telling their own stories in their own heads about themselves. Just like us. God has, along the way, put people in my life, people who have literally saved my life, people who would take a distraught call or a drunken text in the middle of the night, People who would take the time to grab a coffee or a Coke with me and listen to my ramblings and words of feeling lost. People who prayed for me and fought for me. Some have sat with me as I struggled through a PTSD episode and struggled to breathe. My husband's been there for 20 years through nights full of violent nightmares, depression, and anxiety attacks. No one could do things perfectly, but I believe that Jesus, through them, he showed me himself. Through them, he has helped me to hang on through the pain and darkness that I thought at times would never end. I, at times, was so ready to quit, but the light always came, always, every single time. At times, I felt that it would kill me. And that I shouldn't be alive. And I know all that sounds dramatic, but it's the truth. Anyway, God, my view of God has mostly been that he created us 
But most specifically, he isn't really interested in me. And if he does see, he sees me as a huge disappointment. I couldn't have been more wrong. As I said, I've often grown tired of the dark. It's a lonely, painful place. But the light terrified me, thinking of myself as a beloved child of God, who he's not only interested in, but of whom he is head over heels about. That scared the crap out of me. (laughs) With that comes, in my mind, expectations and lots of risk for disappointment. It didn't make any sense. It's either a lie or a cruel trick. If he knows me, really knows me, how can he love me? Why would he want to spend time with me? How can anyone? Today I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for his love, for the patience that Jesus has had for me. I'm so thankful today for the light, which is something I thought I'd never say or want to say. It's still scary and super uncomfortable at times. It's new and different. Learning to confess my secrets, not to everyone, because that would be stupid. Um, But confessing to my trusted people that can pray for me and fight for me, that has changed the story that I tell myself. If I would have quit and not trusted, if I would have missed, I would have missed the redemption, the beginning of redemption, of the darkest part of my life. I would have missed the light swallowing up my darkness. I would have stayed terrified of hope. Hope is actually a beautiful thing. Another thing I didn't think I'd ever say. And people kind of are caught off guard when I say that because they know me. It's trusting in the one who created all things and who adore, who adores me, and especially when it's dark. And finally realizing that the light always wins, always. Things are still hard, but I have hope. I can see him redeeming me in parts of my life, my marriage, my hard stories and seasons. He's redeeming the things that I have been most terrified of. I've learned that Jesus is crazy about us. He wants so much for us to sit with him and to share everything with him. He wants to hear from us. He already knows everything, but I believe he wants us to take time to sit with him. He wants to redeem the stories that we tell ourselves that just aren't true. And last, I want to tell you a story. It's a dream I had about Jesus and I. I dreamed that I was sitting on the bottom of a swimming pool, stubbornly, arms and legs crossed, holding my breath, waiting patiently, sort of, not really. I refused to come up for air. I didn't want to come up. I didn't want to breathe. And I looked up and sitting on the diving board, patiently swinging his legs in almost a playful way, was Jesus. He was just waiting for me, waiting for me to come up and take a breath, waiting for me to breathe and to see him there. He is crazy about us. He wants us to come up and take a breath. He can give us air. He sits and listens intently to us with his very being, every part of him. And it blows me away. But I believe with all my heart that it's true and that he waits He doesn't go anywhere. He waits for us every time. 
Thanks. I'm going to sit too. That was a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have pictures that I can throw up in the background so you can look at them and not me because I don't like doing this, but I'll get to it on here. It's kind of a, a deal that God and I sort of made years ago that anytime I'm asked to do this, I have to. So I'm here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, quick background. Um, I uh, Just to give you an idea, at least spiritually, where I was coming from, I born and raised in Canada in a very small town um, on the border of Michigan in a Roman Catholic family and grew up raised in a Roman Catholic school. Um, Not really sure where the people who educated us were educated because they taught us some pretty backwards and messed up things. Um, But essentially, I grew up believing that God existed And he was like a father, but um, I was terrified of him. I really didn't want anything to do with him. He was going to strike me with lightning. And by the time I moved into my early teenage years, um, I decided to not go to church one week. I wanted to skip church and go to a drag racing show with a boyfriend. And essentially, I was pretty much told that I was going to hell at this point because I chose going to the drag races with my boyfriend over seeing God. So that was kind of around the time where I decided, oh, well, if I'm already screwed, then why bother trying? (laughs) So I just sort of uh, let my life slip. Um, I was taught a lot of, like I said, backwards weird things about God and who he was in my life. Um, Taught that uh, even though when I made mistakes, basically God didn't forget them teacher would draw a circle on the blackboard and draw little X's on it, and she would erase it. And she's like, but God can still see where all those X's are. You're not like, yeah. Salvation and grace and mercy were not really things I understood very well. Um, And the adults in my life kind of, we had books of rules and things we should live by and do, but the adults would go out and curse and get drunk and cheat on their spouses. And uh, growing up, we were expected kind of to lie about it. My dad was a very closet alcoholic for a lot of years uh, when I was growing up, and I happened to be the only one in the house that knew he was drinking. Um, And it turned into a pretty pretty nightmarish thing until we kind of came to a breaking point, and my father was given a choice by my mom, who is an incredible woman. She said, uh, you can choose your problem, your drinking, or you can choose your family, but either way, you're leaving this house tonight. And uh, I was 10 years old, and my dad chose his family, and he left our house that night. And all I knew was I was grateful because I was terrified of the man, and I hated him. So in my mind, great, he's out of the house. And he was actually gone for a year uh, to a pretty intensive rehab program uh, and into a kind of a dry house for a while after that. But during that time... Uh, I really fell very far from God because I really equated the father thing with my dad. And uh, it kind of messed up my head <laughs> in quite a few, quite a few ways. Um, was told to lie by my family all the time. If, uh, if I went to a friend's house or something and if people started asking us too many questions about, where's your dad? I haven't seen your dad in a while. We were given a series of lies to tell about he was at a back clinic. He nearly broke his back. This is horrible injury we made up to 
cover up. Um, so that was kind of my mentality with my own sins and hurts in life was, okay, so you just put on a happy face for the world and you bury the crap and you just don't tell anybody that that's going on. Um, so that's where that was at. And spinning out of that path, I went on a student exchange when I was 16 to France for a year, uh, which ended up being a very good thing in my life. Uh, although I did end up homeless over there and made some not genius decisions, but, uh, it was funny, I would still find myself wandering the streets at like 3 a.m. in France and in my half whatever messed up state I was in, talking to God, this God that I didn't even want to believe existed at this point. I still found myself talking to him in my worst and scariest situations. Um, but I really didn't want to give him much thought, and I certainly didn't, could never accept that there was a God that loved me for who I was by any means. So came back, long story short, got through high school, Graduated and I decided I do not want to live with my parents anymore because it's just too messed up. So I went back over to France for eight weeks and moved in with a guy I had dated there earlier and did a lot of drugs and just kind of lived a crazy life for eight straight weeks. And when my visa ran out, I had to come back home and flew in with my bags packed. And my sister, who had just gotten married and was living in Minnesota at the time, uh, was visiting my parents. And I thought, well, my bags are packed. And I really don't want to live with my parents. I just graduated high school. I'll go move in with my sister and her husband because they're pregnant and having a baby. It'd be good. So I hopped off a plane and got in a car and drove off to Minnesota to move there and try and figure out how to earn some money and likely get back to Europe and finish messing my life up. But uh, I arrived at my sister's house on a Thursday. And she was helping me. She worked at a temp company. She was helping me line up a job that I could work. Um, I did have a passion at this time for working with people with disabilities and was trying to get into that, but uh, I was really messed up in my head, and that first night at my sister's house, um, coming off of eight straight weeks of doing drugs and who knows what else was going on inside of me, but uh, I kind of gave up, and uh, I was sitting there on my bed crying, and at the moment, at that time, I thought I might have been pregnant um, from the guy I had just left in France, and just thinking, like, this is ridiculous. I'm running in circles. I'm going nowhere. I'm not headed any direction. I feel so alone. So, God, if you exist, I'm letting you know this is your last chance. Like, I'm done. And I, I really was suicidal at this point. I was looking up numbers in the phone book for abortion clinics. And when I realized in my heart that wasn't a route I could go, I just decided killing myself would be the better option. So, but I procrastinated on that. And uh, my first night there, I got offered a job to go work at a newspaper, stuffing the flyers in and the Sunday paper, or for the Saturday paper, I don't know. It was one of those jobs that went till 2 a.m. So I got in, and these grumpy old people are in there at the newspaper shoving things, and the next slide after that. So this long-haired, greasy guy with holes in his clothes and everything ripped up walks into the newspaper 20 minutes late for work, drawing attention to himself, and I kind of couldn't take my eyes off him, and I didn't know what it was, because he wasn't particularly, I mean, he looked greasy, and kind of, he wasn't what I would have been looking for, but he looked like trouble, and trouble was what I was looking for, so on this break, I went outside, and there's this guy smoking a cigarette, and he just made it look so good, so I went over and said, hey, can I have a cigarette, and uh, he ended up giving me his number that night and saying, you should call me sometime, so I walk out, and I go home that night thinking, yeah, I might call this guy because I'm sure he could hook me up with some drugs, some party. You know, I, I can get into trouble with this guy. It'd be great. So I call him and ended up getting invite, invited out to go see a show with his friends. And uh, we're in the car, and 
He's got his fingernails painted, and he's just kind of weird, and he was really nice, and he just kept saying really nice. He apologized. So I'm going to apologize in advance, but I have to tell you something. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. He's gay or something. And he's like, you have really pretty hair. I was like, okay, you're just really nice and weird. Well, as the night went on, I finally came out and said, are you gay? Because you're really weird and you're really nice and you haven't even made a pass at me. And he said, no, I'm something way more controversial than that. I'm Christian. (laughs) And that didn't make sense. So I went back to his house and stayed at his little apartment until 3 a.m. throwing every question about the Bible that I could, every slam, every, every backwards thought I'd been taught. Oh, yeah, well, what about this? Oh, yeah, well, what about that? You know, can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? I mean, stupid things. That I, but he sat there patiently with his Bible and just answering and saying, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, man. This is what God showed me. And he just started revealing through his life and his struggles. So we, we started dating. Um, and it was a really cool thing, but it took me about three months of listening to all of his stories about this God and this relationship for me to say, yeah, I want to take that leap. So um, a few months into dating Aaron, uh, I finally fully was able to really accept Christ into my heart and know what that meant. Well, I thought I knew what that meant at the time, and I had a lot to learn. But it was, it was a good thing, and it was the beginning of God's restoration um, that he's done for me. And, and it's been bumpy. So that's kind of where it turned around and then got a little tested later on. Um, we... Uh, after we got married, within the first year of being married, I was diagnosed with HPV, which was likely from my past. Um, Aaron and I had to get a lot of counseling because about three, maybe five years into our marriage, he came to me one day and said, I need to know how many people came before me. And I met Aaron when I was 18 years old. So about five years into our marriage, um, we had to really deal with some major things because I had to say, there were over 20 people that came before you, before you came into my life. And talk about restoration, because we, we have an incredible marriage that it's only God. Um, and uh, even on our wedding night, something beautiful that our pastor had prayed with us for at the time was that God would show me what it meant to be restored, because my husband had chose to wait for well, me. And that was something that was very hard. I felt like I had broken in our marriage. And uh, so, sorry, we prayed, and God restored me on our wedding night. And then physical blah, blah, but my heart was very pure and a very virgin heart for my wedding. And it was something that I couldn't explain other than it was God. God healed something that was very broken. And he continued to over the years, which was awesome. Um... Still thought he was out to get me for some things, and uh, we lost. I got pregnant while we were still in college, young married, and we, we lost our first child, Micah, and it was very challenging. Um, it kind of, like Rachel said, I, I was pretty ticked at God um, and just very hurt that he would give us this hope and take it away is what it felt like at the time. So... Dealing with that, and while dealing with that, I started getting ill, and the people at the college, at the doctor's office I was going to, um, referred me to a psychiatrist and said, well, we think you're a bit of a hypochondriac. I said, okay. So I stopped telling anyone. I went enclosed inside myself um, for about a year and a half. 
And uh, before I was officially diagnosed with MS, which ended up being one of the coolest things God's ever done for me, (laughs) which sounds weird. But um, MS, that part of the journey has shown me that absolutely nothing that I can do in this life is going to be done by my power. It, It broke me down enough to say, I need God. I need God to cover everything. I was a, I do this, I take care of this, I take care of everything, and I couldn't anymore. And so it taught me a new kind of dependence on God that was really good and growing for my heart and my soul. But while that was happening, we were also challenged in that because we were told there was absolutely no chance we would ever have children. It was physically impossible. I have no fallopian tubes. The first child we lost, Micah, was because it was an ectopic pregnancy, and there was no way that child was going to make it where it needed to be, uh, to grow in me. So we were told that, and me being the control freak, I took it into my own hands and was saying, okay, well, then we have to do in vitro. Like, I feel like God told me I'm going to be a mom someday, so we're going to do this. And I was stashing tithe money. Whatever money I could get my hands on, I would stash away in an envelope for infertility and in vitro, and we were going to do it my way. And my husband just kind of quietly stayed in the background and prayed and trusted God, which... Um, I'm grateful for because I think God listened to his faithfulness and thank God, not mine, because, uh, we ended up finding out that we were pregnant. Yeah, that, well, that'll work too. And, uh, with Ellie and that she's exactly where she was supposed to be. Um, and I almost lost her and the guy, the doctor said, well, there's something wrong with your pregnancy, which means there's something wrong with your child and you wouldn't want it anyway. Um, so we found another doctor And, yeah, it's been a little confusing because I did get my dream, and I've got these kids. um, And God gave me a passion for people with special needs. And two out of my three kids have special needs. So it's been, it's an ongoing journey with God. But I know for sure that they're not a mistake. And because of the challenges I went through before, I can see in the brokenness in my kids, I can see incredible amounts of beauty show through my kids that, probably can't show through most of the rest of us because we're so busy and caught up in real life. So I praise God for those awesome little people. And I also praise him that my story's not over because there's been a lot of rough stuff and a lot of redemption and a lot of grace. And there's still a lot of rough stuff, which reminds me I need a lot of redemption and a lot of grace and kind of keeps us going. So, yeah, even though I'm still kind of held down by some shackles of shame and a lot of fear, uh, I I try to do, as as, uh, Rachel said, it's the choose hope (laughs) factor, and that's how we get up and keep on doing it is because if you look back, he hasn't let us down. So that's that. Hi, my name is Guinevere. Um, my story is not going to be as long because I think I'm going to focus, well I know, because I already wrote it down, specifically on the part of how I found Jesus. So, I, like many, was raised in the church. I grew up for the most part surrounded by people um, who believed in and followed the faith. Before even starting school, um, we went to a children's church, or we went to a church daycare that had a children's church on Fridays. 
When it was time, I moved on to a school called Denver Christian. I started there in kindergarten and didn't leave till partial way through sixth grade. There, learning about Jesus and the Bible was part of our everyday curriculum, which made God seem less of a loving creator and more of a subject. I believed in Jesus in the same way I believe that three times four will always be 12, and, I, and it will always correctly be spelled I-T. I learned about Jesus as if he was just another truth um, from some sub- subject in school. Bible stories blended into math problems and began to feel like the same as every other book I would read in the library. My perspective began to change when I switched to a polar opposite, science and tech school, where religion was only talked about in an occasional so- uh, social studies class, and even then, it was never specific. My only source of knowledge then came from church on Sundays and the youth group I attended with a friend. As time progressed, I began to hate those places. The church was advertised as a community for different people with all sorts of background, but even then I felt left out because everyone was different in the same way. It was okay to have problems as long as they weren't too problematic, and it was okay to be different as long as you still had enough in common to fit in. It felt like an HOA. Even your differences were regulated. I sat in crowds of literally thousands of people. It was taught that I needed to not only fit in with them, but I needed to fit in with God as well. God's love was not unconditional, and it was a love that you had to work for. God will only love you if you've checked all the boxes and met all the requirements. On top of the rough times I was having at church, I was beginning to have a rough time at my school community, which, unlike the thousands of, mega pe- the thousands of people at a megachurch, had 150 people per grade and started with one grade. Um, I began to, as I began to discover who I was, many, um, I learned that many people didn't like me. Rumors were spread in the small community, different rumors, um, each time in order to get, um, specific people against me. I was never enough to meet anyone's standards. So how could I be, um, how could I be enough to meet the standards of God's love? I was different than everyone else. I had a different past and different interests and no one liked me and I didn't like them back. It was at this point I had a hard time accepting love, and in all honesty, I still do. My family and I stopped going to church at this time, each of us dropping out for our own reasons. I felt very far from God, nearly refused to acknowledge that he was even there. After a while of not going to church, my brother and stepdad decided it was time for us all to go back. I wasn't a big fan of this idea. I didn't want to be part of some one-of-your-hating scheme in which I would have to work for more people's love who would eventually hate me anyways. When my family first found scum, I didn't go with them on Sundays. I would stay home by myself. A couple months into their time at scum, my mom asked me if I would come to a roller derby bout and watch a few kids that belonged to one of the um, derby girls who went to scum, also known as the rebel scum. It was there that I met the Heilmans. When I first met Kepi, he jumped onto my back and made me run away from his brothers and somehow busted open my lip in the process. And I loved it. We spent the rest of the weekend with their family, and I automatically clicked with them. At one point, I had Kepi on my back and was locking alongside next to Pocket when Kepi asked, How come I've never seen you at Scum? And I told him I didn't go. And Pocket looked up at me and said, Well, you should. And because of that, I showed up to Scum the next Sunday. Jesse's began to give me and my family tasks to make sure that we would stay. They'd make me help out with Sunday school or some, um, some other thing until I finally decided to go to church on my own. I started hanging out a lot more, but still resisted Jesus. It wasn't until a few months ago that I finally gave in. I started small. I'd say a quick prayer each day. I'd look over Bible passages from the sermon and try and figure out what they really meant. When I chose my derby number at the beginning of the season, 
I went with 316 because of the incredibly famous Bible verse, John 316, which doesn't read, God gave us his only son because his perfect people met all the requirements. He gave us Jesus simply because he loves us. I've learned that through this community that you can be loved no matter who you are and you don't have to change everything. Jesus um, loves me for who I am and not what I am. Once I accepted this, it changed everything. And I don't really have... I didn't have an end of this sentence. I don't really have a good way <laughs> to end this story because my journey's far from over. I'm only 16. I'm still in high school. Who I am now is not who I'm going to be in two or three or five years. Um, but I felt like I had to come share this because despite whatever, whatever I lived through, whoever didn't like me, God was always there. And even when I didn't like him, he still loved me. And he's not out to get us. He's out to love us. That's all I have.